We build connections through relationships, a necessary part of the human condition. And throughout this journey, we become ever more authentic versions of ourselves. What are your relationships like? Do they strengthen you? Do they make you tired? Do you question them? The beautiful and the ugly? We are Marjorie and Aijin. Our connection grew when we found out that we were both expecting around the same time. Our children, Rami and Is, drive many of our conversations about cultivating healthy relationships with self and community. We are Haitian and American, and much of our worldview is shaped through this lens. Tisha's Ba is a Haitian Creole expression that means, pull up your little star chair and listen. This is our intentional way of facilitating growth and increasing our capacity to show up. We believe this is only possible by challenging ourselves to move beyond, to assess our love for self, love for country, our native tongue, community, and cousins everywhere. Are you ready to take this journey with us? Let's enact something new through conversations about the state of us. La Val. Take a seat. This is Rami and East Tichesba. Mommy. Oui, mon amour. Mama. Yes, baby. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Rami and East Tichez Ba, episode two of the Carnival season. This is Regine Theodat here with you, here with Marjorie, having these informal conversations about different seasons during our Haiti experience. And, and this season, thank you again for joining us, is the, the Carnival season, where we talk through the relationship that we have with Carnaval, particularly during these moments of political tension and what that, that means to us as new moms in this Haiti life that we're living where we have one piece of our life very present here in the work that we do in Haiti, but also a lot of influence from our US slash American side that we have from growing up um, abroad. And welcome back, welcome back. Hi Marjorie, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Welcome, you sound everyone. very enthusiastic, excited to talk about episode <laughs> two. And so uh, last time, just to give a recap, we talked about the nostalgia of Carnival. And if you recall, both Marjorie and myself sort of ended the episode, not sort of, we ended the episode saying that, you know, we're still waiting for Carnival, that nostalgia and the goosebumps that we have about Carnival to like show up in its full form so that we can celebrate it with, with our kids in a meaningful, purposeful way that is truly Haitian uh, and, and not what it is today. And so today the, the podcast is sort of a, um, a next step, if you will, in that same conversation where we start talking about what did you learn about Carnival uh, in terms of what it is in a Haitian tradition growing up and what other Haitian traditions did you learn about and and do you want to raise your kids with with this with this idea or not um, and also how it ties to language and culture I, I like to call it 
Crayolite, light, like L-I-T-E, like, you know, when you were in college and they had like the light versions of software, if you didn't have like good internet, you could get the light version, the L-I-T-E version. So it was uh-huh. like a full one. And, and so I feel like there are some people that raise their kids on like a Crayolite diet where it's like you get some things, but then you don't get others and, and what that means to us. So anyways, Marjorie, what did you hear about Carnaval and or other Haitian traditions growing up? Um, as you were speaking, there's something that came up for me and I just remember how that was a big thing growing up is throughout Carnaval, at least a month about a month before Carnaval, all the major bands would have their Carnaval video out. And there were, it was music that really moved you. And some of it was social justice focused, like Bookman Experience, Kujai, mm-hmm. those kind of groups. And some of it was just get, you know, drop it low. Drop it low, yeah. <laughs> King Passy. And it was the talk of town. Everyone was, everyone would be talking about these videos. So I, that component is missing. That was a huge, a huge piece of carnival. And because it just, I, it, I just realized that I, I forgot to, um, to talk about that. And the I've been asking, season. yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Carnival season. I've been asking people, well, is this still happening? And they're looking at me like I have seven heads, like, um, no. <laughs> but it was such a big, a big part of the entertainment for us. And I wonder when, I'm curious as to when that started dying off or it stopped mattering. Yeah. So I, yeah. Maybe just this year or like last year. It's it's still always been since, at least since I've been in Haiti, like the pre-carnavalesque and everyone would have like a carnaval song. I, I think it's interesting to me because I don't particularly think they've been that good the last few years. I don't know if yeah. it's like I'm just getting old and like things like I remember when you used to have a good carnaval song, like people are still mm-hmm. singing Kembasote and like the ones from the 90s. Like uh-huh. people, you wouldn't know that that's not something that was released in the last five years. Right. Um, actually, I'm not even sure if Kembasote was an actual carnaval song, but like those like Chante Engagé where like, you know, it's like the social justice as you're talking, they were up until this year, probably they were a much bigger deal. I think the reason why it's um, died down a little bit is because of how political Carnaval has gotten. And because, you know, artists get certain amounts of money to produce and sometimes they don't. And there's been a lot of like conditioning around whether or not it's a waste. And also a lot of artists rely on the Carnaval season to make their money because, you know, our, our industry here is so unfair to them with right. how they're able to make money otherwise, like royalties and things like that. I mean, it's tough in the U.S. for an artist, like a, a musical artist, but in, in Haiti, it's it's even more, more difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first few years I was in Haiti was such a big deal. And there are some artists, I feel like their Carnaval music is much better than their they're regular every oh, oh totally yep <laughs> it's like you should just only do you should only do carnaval <laughs> you should only do carnaval during the the whole year just put that in your head that you need to make it that like upbeat and upbeat and, and especially when they sing about um like the cultural phenomenons that are going on mm-hmm. i remember that's like where i learned a lot of stuff like especially when i first moved back to haiti is just from those songs because yeah it was the reality that i was in yeah, I'm not exposed and, 
Yeah, and those songs still resonate today because there's a lot of, there were a lot of conversations about social justice, about the political climate, things that was just happening culturally in those songs. I listened to Bookman Experience, I listened to um, Kujai, and it's almost deafening sometimes because how relevant everything that they were saying 20 years ago, 30 years ago still is today. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is a very beautiful piece of the, the Carnaval experience that I unfortunately think I've gotten very political, especially with social media, when artists mm-hmm. like will tweet about not getting, like wanting to support Carnaval despite what's going on economically, economically, and the population pushing back like Carnaval can't be more important to you than how the administration is doing X, right. Y, and Z, and then it just it's become so so political, mm-hmm. um, and so. Speaking of like what does and doesn't transcend politics, and are you gonna raise or Lamy on this Creole light, as I've I've very offensively categorized it, of our culture? See, I I think for me, I want to say that my upbringing, in some way, though it wasn't light, I also think it was fragmented mm-hmm. because so much about the way that we showed up or we were showing up um, was not accepted. And so we had to censor ourselves. We had to, they censor the way that we talk. So even in school, for example, if we spoke Creole, that was ground for detention, for having your parents you know, show up in school, uh, for, um, for the school to have a talk with them. All of that plays a major, major um, impact on your, cultural esteem on your racial esteem Mm -hmm. and so for me I'm still working to mend a lot of it so I think with Rami this thing we're we're doing this thing together where I am I'm teaching him more so modeling I don't think I'm teaching much I'm just sort of modeling the way that I the experience that I wish that I had and also trying to be fair to him just being an, an individual yeah. and having his own experience yeah and being able to so I don't know that yeah that makes yeah. sense determine what he yeah. wants from it too yeah, yeah it's, it's funny that you say that I, I guess yeah I guess that's a better way of putting it is like the fragmented and I, I think mine is similar um mm-hmm. also because I wasn't uh, I didn't grow up in Haiti I grew up in Massachusetts but what was very interesting I think is despite growing up in Massachusetts I always had such a strong strong Haiti connection and I didn't really speak Creole so I don't actually even know what my strong Haiti connection was from but I just always had it and in retrospect it's not that surprising that I moved to Haiti but at the time like a brand new lawyer it made zero sense And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm trying to do the same thing too with East is like, I want her to have as much of the Haitian culture as I can model, but also realizing that I don't fully have the experience that she needs to have to be able to pick and choose what she wants mm-hmm. for her, for her understanding of it. And so just like exposing her to different parts and then letting her, mm-hmm. letting her determine from there what she wants. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget one of the reasons why I actually gave birth in Haiti is because I wanted her to have that option. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to tell her that she can't be president of Haiti. Like, I don't want that to be like something that is part of her decision-making. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be part of her decision-making whether or not 
she gets to have a Haitian passport or not. I don't want it to be part of yeah. her decision making that she can or can't do things. And so the U.S. laws are such that um, she is American by her by her mother being American. So my daughter right now is 100% both, and she can be anything in either place. And that was very mm -hmm. important to me going in to the decision to to give birth in Haiti. Yeah. 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 I um I think about some. There's something that comes up for me also when speak when thinking about identity is that. It really, Rami was born in Washington, D.C., and I love D.C. D.C. is for me, it's like, it's like Haiti in a different way. Um, and so it's really, really important for um, Rami to have a solid relationship with his Blackness. And that needs to be able to, that he needs, and I hope, I shouldn't say he needs to, and I hope that he can navigate both of these worlds, because I think there are two worlds that are gonna that are essential to our lives, mm -hmm. um, just based off of what you know. Because DC is still home in the relationship that I have, so I, the, our blackness, our love for our black skin, our black joy needs to trans, needs to sort of occupy these two spaces. Yeah, and I've been thinking about how <laughs> how do I do this because. It, it sounded simpler before, but just being in Haiti, there's so much work that I have to do internally. Sometimes there's this feeling of like feeling trapped or feeling that I'm not doing enough, even though I have my hand on a lot of stuff. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's the ability to do to do it all. And so I just want to yeah. clarify when you say black, you also you mean black American, like his blackness. I mean, and that's it. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Um, I do want East to navigate as well to be able to navigate any mm -hmm. situation that she's in. Um, but I guess I, I've never thought of it in terms in those terms. I also I grew up in Massachusetts, so my I think my black experience is lacking and mm -hmm. um it's probably an experience i have more negative connotations with never negative experiences with it because it right. was always held back like I've, I've never lived in like a dc or like like a, a new orleans or like an atlanta or even like southern parts of the u.s where yeah. there's a little bit more celebration of the yeah. of that and so i always felt like like a caged bird and then that's yeah. one of the things i loved about haiti is that my blackness was able to be on display more. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want East to navigate that in all yeah. areas, of course. But it's, yeah, as you said, it's like, how do you be purposeful about it? And it, it's overwhelming to try to yes. make sure you give your kids all of these experiences. I mean, you did a lot. I mean, you you, you uprooted Rami and yourself and your whole practice, your <laughs> move to Haiti <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. So you did a lot to, to make sure that he has um, yeah. he has a, a variety of experiences to to be a well-rounded a, a well-rounded black man someday yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. balance balance yeah <laughs> balance it's hard yeah. to 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 do the balance and to yeah and so, and so going back to the question how do we do is it light or full creole a creole I have to, I think of it as my number one job as a parent raising a black boy is to cultivate self-love 
and freedom in his mind, which feeds into his black joy, which feeds into his black vitality and his esteem. And so I am modeling as best as I can a free human being with full agency over my own life, mm -hmm. with advocacy, playfulness, love, and truth as sort of pillars. Yeah. And hopefully he'll use this blueprint and his own imagination like to make people's lives better by questioning patriarchy on both sides. Yeah. And uplifting women, particularly black women, yeah. to advocacy and love. Oh, and that's really my mission. That's a beautiful mission. That's a beautiful mission. Um, no, I have I, I have actual goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> being a mother is complicated and 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 also beautiful mm -hmm. at the same time. And yeah, that's the perfect way to describe the 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 environment and atmosphere that that I hope East feels like she's in. It's yeah. interesting because even though there are only two, I already feel like with both of our kids, you can already see the clear direction that they're going in. The curiosity, yes. the the experience that you can already see. Definitely for Rama, you see the black joy with him. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how do you continue to maintain it so that mm -hmm. it grows and is cultivated and um, that it truly becomes a part of them moving forward yeah yeah you know and I think so much about maintaining it is how we show up as well not just as mothers as women as human yeah. beings yeah because they're watching did you become less unapologetic after you became a mom no I become I became more unapologetic after I became a mom Yes, yes, that's that was my question. I think I phrased it incorrectly. My, yeah, myself as well. I started to ask yeah. for everything that I never <laughs> used to ask for when I became a mom. I think people around me were like, "Does this lady not know she was pregnant?" Like when I was pregnant, I insisted on doing everything. I was like, "My business yeah. is going to make it to this place. My career is going to make it to this space. My bank account is going to make it to this place." And I was just like on a mission. Like I always felt like I had so much energy. Yeah. And I just felt like it was like Issa's energy. Like after she was born, I realized where I got that extra energy. It was her energy that was like mm -hmm. inside of me that was fueling and, and pushing you to, to be more because you want her mm -hmm. to, I want her to be a full person yeah. in, in her own right. And I think it's different for sure when you're raising daughters or raising sons in the kind mm -hmm. of society that, that you have, that we have. And I, a question I have for you is, modeling do you think modeling behavior is enough for him or do you have to also be explicit about what it means to show up for women yeah so modeling is part of it and i have to be explicit yes especially about black girls and black women yeah. so i am in, i'm intentional about you know when i see a little um black girl um talking in, in a very organic way but talking about how beautiful she is how beautiful her hair is and i tell Rami how beautiful his hair is because he is a reflection of women of black women yeah um just making sure that I am cultivating his relationship with women in a loving way, in a curious way, mm -hmm. while also making space, allowing women to have their space, mm -hmm. talking about, con you know, talking about um, consent, 
and what does that look like? Our bodies, our, our bodies, we own our bodies. So no one gets to tell us what to do with them. And no one gets to tell black women what to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. And no, no one gets to tell black boys what to do with their bodies. So in some way, there is a lot of modeling, especially when it comes to emotion, emotional response. Um, emotional regulation but I think when it comes to these like social aspects I have to be explicit I have to be very intentional and articulate that in a very clear way so he gets it and not just one time all the time yeah yeah the consent thing is really huge and I am more modeling with East than I am explicit as of right now and I keep trying to figure out how to be more explicit and I think where I struggle with that is that being more explicit is one thing. Like I can say, you know, don't do this and don't do that or or not don't do that. But like this, these are your rights. These are your boundaries. These are et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. But society tells her the opposite all the time. And so that's where I struggle as a mom, especially here. The number of things that you get told about girls So my very first, I mean, I was triggered throughout my entire pregnancy. Like I had to be purposeful about not engaging with certain people. Like Mm -hmm. I remember I was pregnant and I went to the bank. Um, Issa's father, my husband is dark skin. Um, And I was at the bank and the teller, like the audacity was like, I hope your baby is your color and not your husband's color. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can be so explicit as a parent, but then somebody I don't know this teller that well. I, I've been going to this bank for like five years, but I don't know this teller well enough to, for him, him to say this. And I remember being so angry and the response I gave, I think cut like, like his entire half his hair off. And he was like, oh, it's because you really love him. And it's like, no, it, it, it's, it's not. Oh my God. You don't have to really love someone for you to be okay with their, like it's, it was, mind-boggling and then it just continued so this was just about color but then things like I have to pierce your ears because she's a girl I have to comb right. my hair because she's a girl like even things like you you push down their clitoris so that they don't become fast when they're older like they Jesus. don't become and it's just there's just so much and I find myself very overwhelmed with how many things we tell girls even before they're born about what they can can't do and what they should or shouldn't do and so I I, I I try to balance explicit and modeling, but I feel like mm-hmm. there has to be, there is something else that we're going to have to do because society yeah. is going to tell them so much that's opposite of what we say to them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think I agree. And, and I, and I think of being explicit also in a developmentally appropriate way. Um, so an example that I have is, um, Rami was, um, someone came to give him a hug and he didn't want to hug the person. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I think for me, that puts me in a position where people are looking at me, oh my God, this weird mom. And I'm okay with that. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, but I yes, have to keep, sorry, to keep yeah. thinking of my mission. And so I had to say to Rami, it's okay, Ram. you don't have to hug anyone you don't want to hug. It's your body. So things like that, that you can do in the moment, but it's, it's not something you can do all the time. <laughs> so sometimes it's almost, you have to swallow this, uh, you have to create a buffer for this dysfunction that's around us because it's really difficult to address it all. 
it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And we shouldn't, we can't address it <laughs> we all. We can't address it all. <laughs> You're going to have like, I, well, like East has a village, right? I think she's very fortunate. East and myself are very fortunate um, that we, she has a village of strong, powerful black women to see herself in and model herself in. And I, <laughs> this is horrible to say, I feel like her ability to see the same in men is what's probably what's lacking. And uh, <laughs> I'm always like, I'm going to have to do explicit work about, you know, that like I, I yeah. just it's a lot it's 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 yeah. a lot to navigate and I, and I do the consent thing too with East and people get very offended when you tell them that it's okay that their baby that your baby doesn't want to be touched by somebody they don't know <laughs> I know it's yeah like so but even with myself like East, East doesn't like to be hugged or kissed um, mm-hmm. but she likes to give hugs and kisses and yeah. I always remind her if I go to kiss her and she says no I'm like I'm sorry yeah. Even yeah. if it's you, like you, you, consent yeah. is consent. And mm-hmm. when she was a few months old, I was reading this article about um, that you can even start the consent conversations with the change in the diaper. Obviously, the mm-hmm. child can't respond to you verbally. And I thought it was so silly. I was like, I'm not going to ask a three month old if I can change her diaper. But yeah. I started doing it. And I started realizing that she was providing consent, like non verbally. And she started doing mm-hmm. it very early, like, four or five um, months she started to you started to be able to say like i don't want and it's not the end of the world if she doesn't want to change her diaper i think as parents right. we're like ah diaper rush diaper rush diaper rush but i think for me the idea that she was able to say yes or no about things was a very important something yeah. to instill especially her being a girl um and now she's very clear about what she does not want to do. Something. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and there's one thing that's been helpful for me because initially when I was going, I mean, entering this journey, I thought that I needed to have this structure as a parent and it just doesn't work. I mean, it's helpful in some ways, but overall it doesn't work for my style as a parent. And it doesn't work for Lami. He doesn't respond to that. So I almost have in a lot of ways, just watching him and have him teach me how he wants me to parent him. Mm-hmm. And that's almost reversed to how I was raised. Not almost, it is completely yeah, reversed. To how-, <laughs> to how a lot of us were raised. They would call us Citile, Mama Citile. That's what you Mama are. Citilez. Yeah, you let you let your kids do your kids the boss of you. I've heard this so many times about many of my parenting decisions. But yes, yeah. Yeah. So I try to have my parenting look like consistent thoughtfulness. I mean, obviously I'm not, there's no perfection here. I'm just swinging it. You know, just being thoughtful and constantly reevaluating and being flexible and listening to what his needs are underneath what I want, because sometimes I may want something from him, but he wants something completely different. And there is a struggle Yeah, and somebody has to give. And oftentimes it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Someday you're going to be able to reason with that's what I keep telling. I as I do this, I try to do that similarly with East and I'm very fortunate that I, I have a nanny that does that as well, even though Mm -hmm. she's, um, probably was also raised similar to how uh, many Haitian people are raised, like yeah. that very authoritarian, top-down sort of way. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not even saying one is right or one is wrong, but for me, it just didn't work. 
um, for yeah. how I wanted to parent her. And I keep thinking, I keep thinking that it's going to be different when like the logic starts to happen with more <laughs> verbal cues. Like now they're, I mean, they speak and they, they say some things, but I, I, I keep wondering what it's going to be like when they're four or five, when there's yeah. like full blown sentences, like yeah. you have to like figure out which language they slip into. Like, I feel like I have to like activate all the languages that I know to understand half yeah. of the sentence that he says in Creole and then half she says it in English. Yeah. Yeah. It's And we can't, we can't lie to our children. Our children, they are in touch with our hearts in a way that we are not because yeah. they've lived inside of our bodies. Mm-hmm. So there's, they know things that sometimes we are about ourselves that yeah. we aren't even aware of. Yeah. And so I think this is why I think this podcast, this dialogue is so important because in some ways we we're individually having our own tishesba mm-hmm. and having to listen to ourselves. Yeah. And reflect. And then I also another thing yeah. that's important to me is that this is like some sort of memory for them that they can. Yeah. Hopefully, if we're great enough with technology, as we think we are, that they can look yeah. back on it when they go through some of the similar is that I think every generation does it. You just do it in a different way. And you're probably revisiting right. a lot of the same, the same mm-hmm. themes. Yeah. So we've landed on, we are not doing the light version. We're doing the modeling version because we grew up with the fragmented version. And that's gonna, we have to be comfortable in the fact that it's going to look differently at every moment and every impasse as our children grow and change and develop and the country changes and grows and develops because the way I was parenting East three months ago is very different than how I'm parenting it, her now. And it's largely because of the political situation. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. comfortable, but comfortable to be in this middle road of, of this constant growth and change. Yeah. I think, you know, the way we wait, the way we raise our children is a way that it's our legacy. And that's just the legacy that we're leaving behind, but the also the legacy we're choosing to live in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so being intentional about raising children, being intentional about communicating to children in general is an important part of the relationship building yeah. and that connection. Mm-hmm because it does find itself in all aspects of the society. Oh, yeah. All, all aspects, yeah. as the children become adults. Yeah. <laughs> and adults yeah. that will start to question things, like, yeah. you said that I'm not supposed to do this, and I'm not, and I can do that, but why does everyone uh-huh. else tell me the opposite? <laughs> um, and you know they're yeah. going to ask it, because both of our kids are, that's definitely their personality. I give yes. us maximum, maximum 12 months before they start pointing out some hypocrisy. Absolutely. And I, I, I yes, yes. <laughs> we just have to be ready. Our tishes ba of our own understanding and unlearning, we have to keep yeah. to it because <laughs> they're going to come for us. Um, yes. There, yeah. just as an end note, there are these two words that I, I learned um, at the beginning of um, when East was first born. There was this term called unlearning and you you'll know them because you're a therapist Mm -hmm. and then reparenting and I keep Mm -hmm. going back to that and unlearning is just like the same thing as reparenting in the sense is that Mm -hmm. you're learning new things that maybe you didn't even realize that you knew and then this parenting journey is sort of a way of you like 
parenting yourself, like reparenting yourself. And right. your kids will also go through that, like that version. If they, if they choose to parent, they'll also do a bit of reparenting. Mm-hmm. And I think I had to learn to love that, that each generational cycle, you know, does like a reset and a rewash and a change and be okay Absolutely. with the fact that East is going to maybe parent totally different from me. And that's absolutely beautiful because she's going to do it based Mm -hmm. off of what I taught her. And I'm doing the same and being able to honor the fact that I want to do it a little bit differently, but also take what I really enjoyed about my experience and mixing it all together to be so that every generation grows. And so I keep thinking of generational wealth in two things, like mental wealth and then also like financial wealth. This is why self-awareness and attunement are two of the biggest gifts we can offer ourselves. Everything you just said. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're going to end there today. What do you think? Yeah. No, I think we're good. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to Gami and East Tisha's Ba. Thank you. We'll we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye.